We've um, got Tony Jordan and Juliet Fox. And Juliet Fox. Now, Jan, I'm off to a celebration, an anniversary, and you're invited. In fact, every listener is invited because 3CR is celebrating 40 years of being on air. And um, they've released a book to commemorate and acknowledge four decades of community service. And we have our very own Juliet Fox to talk about it. So, Juliet, welcome to Published or Not. Thanks, David. I mean, four decades. How did 3CR begin? There's a lovely little vignette uh, at the in the opening chapter. Yeah, the start of 3CR is a fantastic story and it was really amazing to research it and find out lots of new things because I've been around the station for quite a while but there was lots of things that I discovered in working with so many other people on producing the book. So the Community Radio Federation, which is uh, a, a governing body still at 3CR, so it's a group that is made up of lots of member organisations. So community organisations join the Community Radio Federation and through that they are able to have a show on 3CR and they are also able to have voting rights at the station. Um, but when it formed in 1974... There, w- there wasn't actually even a licence to apply for. So what they were doing was building a movement. So people were aware that there was possibly going to be a licence to apply for in Melbourne. So they started building a movement that could apply for that licence. So they approached a whole range of different community organisations, everyone from the Wharfies Union to, you know, a whole lot of different cultural and community organisations to join together under the umbrella of the Community Radio Federation. And it was that organisation that then applied for the licence when it was then advertised in 1975. And it was actually a restricted commercial licence that we applied for at the time. And there were various other applicants Um, There were 11 applicants and we won the licence. We were successful. And then we started broadcasting in July in 1976. And there's a lovely little uh, line about five minutes. This is reported by Dale Butler, one of the technicians. About five minutes before we actually turned the transmitter on, a taxi pulled up out the front and a person from the department, drunk as a skunk, fell out of a bloody taxi and gave it to us. Here's your effing licence and off he went. The restricted commercial licence was for a period of five years confirming 3CR's presence on air until 1981. It sounds so tenuous. How? That's right because we need to remember that so we applied for the licence in 1975. We received news that we were successful in getting the licence on October the 10th 1975 And we all know what happened in November 1975 with the dismissal. So, of course, we've had a a massive political upheaval. The station, you know, a a radical group of people who um, were about to have a voice in the media had been granted a licence under Whitlam and under Fraser were waiting to actually receive the piece of paper. And in the meantime, there were various legal challenges And there were a whole range of people that were like, no, 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 we can't have that group of people and that type of politics in the media. There was clearly a range of 
moves made to try and stop that licence being issued. But how has 3CR been able to survive? It's a tenuous beginning. Other community radios have fallen by the wayside. And 3CR remains. How is that possible? I think that the the people who set the station up had some very great organisational skills. And again, in the book, we hear from people who were seasoned campaigners. They had been involved with the moratorium movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement. They had been political operators and they were skilled at that. They were also involved in unions and unionism and they were skilled at creating inclusive democratic structures that had sustainability and longevity. And that is what they created in 3CR. They created a democratic, inclusive structure that was able to weather conflict, that was able to include a whole range of very diverse people. It's not like everybody's on the same political page here, but they were able to create that environment that was able to include people to have a really solid ongoing structure that enabled decisions to be made, things to be done, and everyone to to manage that. But that's what fascinates me, given that there are such different uh, people here from different realms and interests and political uh, bents and such like, that, yeah, 3CR has weathered that. And uh, it comes out in the book because um, the book is divided into decades as well as issues and people. And you think there are a number of personalities, but we have the wrong sense of personality in many ways because it's not personality driven and yet so many personalities have contributed to the station. That's right. And I think the Book Working Group, who was a group of nine people who've been working together since the middle of 2014 in organising this group, I think we did struggle with that a bit in terms of each chapter, as you say, basically has 13 pieces. It has three people who are profiled, three programs that are profiled, three special broadcasts. It also has a section on music, a section on, on technology and a kind of introduction and a conclusion. And in in choosing people, yes, we were like, ah, how, you know, do we do this? Why do we do this? Is this okay to do this? But I suppose we made the decision that while 3CR is firmly anti the, the media personality, it is also completely made up of people. And we wanted the book to be interesting and we wanted it to really invite people and sparks spark people's engagement with the station and to hear from people's personal stories and experiences does that. And so that's why we chose to also profile people in it. But also behind that, you've got a book by committee. That shouldn't exist. That's impossible. And we've all survived. We all all still talk to each other. But what are the issues? I mean, one of the first ones was the Palestinian issue and what happened there in in the 70s? And again, I think that this was a a case of us as an organisation weathering a storm and because of the structure we're able to do that. But basically what happened was that 
3CR right from the beginning made a very clear commitment to covering the Palestinian issue in a very pro-Palestinian way. We took a stance. We recognised that we are biased and we firmly took that stance of being pro-Palestinian and we put a lot of pro-Palestinian voices and issues to air and that immediately caused an extreme ruckus and made us the attention of a lot of conservative voices out there who took absolute exception to the a voice in the media being pro openly pro-Palestinian. Well, you ended up, or well, 3CR ended up on the front cover of the bulletin. What That's was, right. what, what did that say? Well, that was accusing us of being terrorists. Um, the person is wearing a balaclava and is in front of a microphone. And people people took extreme exception and were, were really horrified by, by that. And there's actually a lot of response in the archival material that we have here at the station really rebutting that as an accusation because it was a very serious accusation at the time. And also when you look at that, how that word terror, terrorist is being used today... Um, but also now, I'm going to one of the most interesting parts, well, not most interesting, but the index, because you can look at each decade and see the issues that are emerging. Has there been any sort of transition, evolvement, evolution in those issues, do you think? I think that there's always um, issues evolving at the station, which is why it's so interesting and, and dynamic. So there's always new issues coming on to 3CR, but there are also a series of issues that have lasted. You know, the concrete gang, for example, and building workers' issues is is a is a current program and it's a program that's profiled in the 1970s. It remains an issue. But at the same time, there's there's constantly new new programs that we didn't have back in the 70s. Animal rights issues, for example, is a really key thing on air, whereas uh, we didn't necessarily have a lot of that covered back in the 1970s. You, you can see issues like Queering the Air, which came on in uh, 2010 uh, sort of decade, the, um, et cetera, which hadn't been in the decade before. This notion of voices emerging uh, as society changes as well. Absolutely. And 3CR playing a, a particular role in that, in in being on, on the edge, if you like, of, of some of those more progressive um, voices in the media and in particular being willing to put people to air that and issues to air that really don't have a space elsewhere. And I think queering the air is an example of that. Disability issues have always been an example of that, as have Aboriginal voices. Well, one of the other interesting ones that comes on comes in early on is uh, prisoners. Absolutely. And again, that was really interesting to find that out because I had no idea that we'd had an early prison show. So it was what what we did to begin with in, in trying to work out what we were covering in the book was that the book working group gathered together and went through all of our cram guides, which listeners would be aware is our newsletter. And through doing that, we came, ac we came across the prison show and that that was amazing that in the 1970s we had um, a program on air whereby a listener had come through the front door who had just got out of Pentridge, who was who had been listening to 3CR inside and who wanted to get involved in the show in, in the station, and so they. Um, got together with an existing presenter and they started a prison show. Well, it's still on air. A prison voice is still present absolutely, today. Absolutely, But yep. then how important is it to give those uh, groups, those minority groups, a voice like prisoners, uh, like the community groups that we have? 
Well, again, I think the the one of the reasons why 3CR has lasted, survived and thrived is that just like back in the 70s when people were like, oh, you know, my issues don't have a voice, I don't have a voice, that still exists today. Even though we have such amazing advances in technology, there are still people who just simply don't have an opportunity to control what is said about them and what they are able to express within the media. Well, there's so much social agenda, so much uh, social expectation attached to things and preconceptions that, yeah, yeah, clarification is often needed. Somebody going through the experience needs to voice to, to clear what's going on. Absolutely, and they need to be able to do it on their terms, which I think has always been a key element of 3CR. It's not just about providing some small spot on someone else's show for you know disability activism to have a voice, but it's actually training up and resourcing and supporting people from the disability community to have their own show, determine their own issues and get on air and speak to their community but also to the wider community about the issues. Mm. We're, we're going to run out of time. There's so <laughs> many issues, uh, apartheid, squatters, workplace, com- in all the community groups. I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you know how many programs does 3CR put to air, do you know? At the moment we put to air about 120 programs per week. 120 programs yeah. per week. How many people? About 400 volunteers. 400 volunteers yeah. and yet those volunteers and those programs, well, we've got two guests today, so if each program they're That's brought right. in two guests yeah. and often there's more, mm-hmm. you can imagine the number of people coming through the station. Yeah, and then if you think about how that has been over 40 years. Yes, it's massive. And and our audience, our audience reach what any I mean we don't have ratings as a non-commercial entity. We don't have ratings, but I suppose we gauge it in terms of how we do it radiothon and how many people, you know, ring up and support us. In some ways it's one of those issues where it's like, well, do we need to have a figure on that? Yeah. What what is the point in having that ratings? And generally, the point of it is so that you can sell your audience to an advertiser. And we're not in that position. Right. But it's important that people are listen or listening are able to listen. But in lots of ways, it's just also just as important who's having a voice on the airwaves and what they're able to communicate. We talked off air about how this book was funded and put together and we're not going to get time for that because Jan's got her guest. But one last thing, there's a book launch because I got a... a copy in a brown paper bag that I wasn't allowed to show anybody. What's going on? So this Friday night, so that's tomorrow evening at 6pm at Bella Union, which is on the first floor of Trades Hall in Carlton. We're having a book launch. We're going to have a range of speakers, many of whom are featured in the book. Um, And the book will be for sale for the first time at the book launch. Uh, there will be snacks, drinks, <laughs> and a whole lot of people from hopefully across really the, the breadth of the station and the length of the station in terms of its four decades there for people to meet and talk to. And the Melbourne community. It is absolutely Melbourne, yeah. all of the margin, yeah. well, not necessarily marginalised, but smaller mm. voices from in and around Melbourne. It'll be The book will then be available uh, online and from the station. So it's a part of Melbourne's history a radio history. Juliet, thank you very much. Thanks, the, David. The book is Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. It was put out by 3CR.
Damn. Well, this 3CR book covers 40 years. Tony Jordan's last uh, book was titled Nine Days and set prior to World War II. But her new book, Our Tiny Useless Hearts, could be happening to families now. What's the time frame of this story? Um, good morning, Dan. <laughs> I haven't given you a chance even <laughs> to say morning. hi. And good morning, David. To nice to meet you, Juliet. <laughs> Fascinating listening to the, the history of the station. Um, I walk past it all the time because it's, I'm, I live just around the corner, so I walk past and the outside is always amazing because of there's kind of murals and and different sort of uh, stencils and stuff on the outside. It, the, even the building is fascinating, so um, I'm sure there's great stories to tell with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this book... No, we're going out from outside the book to inside the studio and now into your into, new right, book. Right, the new book, right. So that is um, set over a weekend. It's a, it's a tight... Kind of. it, it, and a lot yeah. happens in this weekend. Mercedes, the seven-year-old daughter, sums it up when she says she wants to do adult stuff. She calls it adultery. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what starts the action. Who's having the affair? I think just about everybody in this book, or if they're not, they're at least pretending to. There's a lot of... Um... Ah, we know that. Well, uh, it's Henry. Henry and Carolyn own the house where all the action takes place. And on the front cover, we see ties and scissors. But that's not all. How does Carolyn, the wife, take out her personal vendetta? Well, yes, she's not too... Um, Caroline and Henry are the, the couple that we start with. There's three couples that we kind of get to know over the course of this weekend. And and the first one that we start with, Caroline and Henry, Caroline is not too impressed on <laughs> about Henry leaving her for... Um, the kid's school teacher. So as well as completely decimating his wardrobe and cutting um, cutting off a few bits of clothing, um, she follows them. They go off for yeah. a romantic weekend and she hightails it after them and that means she leaves her two small children in the care of her sister. So, uh, so Auntie Janice is in charge for that. Auntie day. Janice. Now, Auntie Janice has been a regular visitor, especially over the last two years. Why two years? Yes, she's had a hard time because she has been divorced herself and um, kind of collapsed in a heap after that happened. Um, but normally, you know, what happens in divorce is that the, the people fall out of love with each other and that's the no. reason they get divorced. But that's not what happened in this it, case. No. <laughs> well, after all the excitement of the morning, uh, Auntie Janice organises the kids to play downstairs and goes up for a rest. Now, she's still missing her ex-husband, Alex, so she has this dream about him being in bed with her and she feels this arm around her and then realises that this arm is a lot hairier than her <laughs> Alec. So who is it? Yes, it's a surprise visitor. It's, uh, it's one of the next-door neighbours who have sort of snuck into the bedroom because they he doesn't realise that, that um, it's Janice's not. sister, who, who he is actually having an affair with, um, uh, isn't there. So. so there's two naked people in the bedroom and then somebody arrives to take the kids kite flying. 
Yes, and it's the ex-husband, Alec, who she's still in love with. (laughs) So with all of this naked activity... um, It's like the naked Olympics. It's like the naked Commonwealth Games in this book. This activity is noticed through the bedroom window and it's Craig's wife. Now, Craig is the one who was the hairy one in bed. His wife, Leslie, is looking for him. Why should Leslie be suspicious that this naked man could possibly be her husband, Craig? Because she knows exactly what he's like and what he's likely to get up to. And in fact, he's on his final warning. So so she is uh, very motivated to find out who is the naked man in, um, in the bedroom. And so it comes to Saturday night. And look, I think a lot of authors need to do plot setting, but you actually had to do bed setting. (laughs) (laughs) How are you going to get different people into all those different beds? It's fascinating. And this is the problem that farce faces because farce in general is a form that started on the stage with Moliere in the, I don't know when that was, 1600s, I think, actually, late 1600s. And it's sort of Farce has progressed through all those Oscar Wilde kind of coincidences that would happen. And then, you know, um, Alan Ackborn and Michael Frayn, who wrote no- Noises Off, which is oh, yeah. magnificent. And they had doors. They didn't have beds. They did have doors, but they're still, they're still, I still have naked people hiding in cupboards, which is kind of a nod to, to kind of the traditions of farce. But that's the whole idea is this really quick, lots of dialogue, um, mistaken identity, and everybody's, everybody's motivations are kind of confused. And then a naked person has to hide in the cupboard because they're spouse unexpectedly comes to the door and and this kind of joe orton did a lot of this too the the british playwright in the 60s and and putting it in a book um was a little bit challenging but so much fun i had so much fun writing it (laughs) well i had fun reading it so next morning here we are on sunday morning because as we said it all takes place in a weekend all the other adults and who are also adulterers all they all return home so <laughs> there's all these adults and, and, of course, two kids. And I really like this whole idea that many times arguments are done with children and the children see the argument brew and they're never around to see the the solution. I think that's a really true thing and it's a really big thing. Children are often there at the beginning. They see the scaling up of the argument and they see the argument and then by the time it's underway, then adults go, oh, we shouldn't be doing this in front of the kids. So they never see the resolution. Everything is always hanging in the air for them. And I remember when I was you know, that age, the age of the children in this book, I was like seven going on 42. Like I've always been like a little miniature grown-up and it always amazed me that grown-ups themselves behave so childishly. Um, so I, I wanted to put that in as well, that, that in a lot of ways the children are the, <laughs> the most grown-up among the lot of these badly behaving adults. And, of course, the adults, having the kids there, have to adapt their language. Yes. So they have to find a new topic to talk about sex. There's all <laughs> kinds of analogies that go through this book because you can't actually say it right in front of the, the children. <laughs> of course, with that many adults too, there's more than one conversation that's often taking place. So the, the juxtaposition of the conversation must have been just as nearly nearly oh. as hard as organising the beds. Well, it's it's. In, I mean, you've read all my books, I think, Jan, because I've been on this on your show um, to talk about them all. But dialogue is really my favourite thing, and I could just happily just write 
dialogue and nothing else. And in fact, when I handed in the first draft of this book, my lovely editor gave it back to me and said, it's not a screenplay, you know, you have to do other things. So, (laughs) but, you know, I don't really know what people look like. It's a really interesting thing that two of my books now have been, I've sold the option, the film option. So they might be making movies out of them, hopefully, if everything goes well. And people always ask, you know, who can you see in these roles? I've got no idea what they look like, but I know what they sound like exactly. I I just didn't realise until just then. I, you you don't do physical descriptions no. at all, do you? I just you know, apart from hairy, uh, yeah. Gray. Unless it's something useful like the <laughs> amount of hair on somebody's arms. <laughs> well, we've got to think about all of this. Was it worth it all? Was Martha worth it? And then we sort of actually think about well, who is Martha? Martha, Martha the magnificent. Yes, Martha is uh, the the school teacher that Henry has been having the affair with that she actually runs off with, and I actually you know stole that setup from Anna Karenina. <laughs> to confess (laughs) because you know in the beginning the first page of Anna Karenina after that line that says you know happy families blah 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 the famous one it says something like the house was all in an uproar because the husband's affair with the governess had been discovered and I just thought oh how brilliant what a brilliant beginning and so I actually gave Martha the same surname as the governess in Anna Karenina and of course you know we have Tolstoy has markedly fewer naked people hiding in cupboards than I do. But but just the whole idea of how this relationship, the th- three relationships, just spirals out of control. And I want it to be one of those farces where, you know, Janice is a really good person and she just tells one white lie to get someone out of trouble and then, then she has to tell a bigger lie to cover up that one and a bigger one to cover up that one and it escalates in this out-of-control fashion, like faulty towers but naked, really. <laughs> Well, Janice has her own problems because she she sort of looks at kids. She she knows how not to hurt kids, just as Martha does. But mm-hmm. it's it's also the hurt of not being able to have kids. Yeah. And she looks at uh, Leslie, and uh, look, I think you've given, given Leslie, uh, who had, has twins, she uh, had two children despite only one pregnancy, an ovular overachiever. <laughs> And Janice, she's been nurturing these bacteria that she's grown. I know a lot more about bacteria too, thank you. Well, actually, this was a, I had a job for nearly two years as a librarian of a stock culture collection, oh, okay. which, um, which actually one of my favourite jobs ever. I've had a lot of very strange jobs and that was one of them. So all, all day I just sat alone in my tiny room, smaller than this, that has all incubators at different temperatures around the walls and um, little Petri dishes filled with gorgeous bacteria of all different colours and shapes and it's my job to keep them growing and it was my job to keep them growing and not kill them and not contaminate them so they didn't, I, look this know. love of bacteria this comes through bacteria. this book yeah we've talked about the humour but uh, Tony Jordan I really wanted to sort of talk about two aspects that you get in quite heavily here it's the inability the hurt of uh, Janice's inability to achieve uh, conceive mm-hmm. which I've got to say I was nearly in tears with but the other one was when she was collecting money to take her separated father out to dinner and the reaction of her mother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm reading this and what what a weird woman this mother was until you get to the end you think oh no mm-hmm. oh <gasps> that was that was sincere stuff along yeah. with the comedy but you've got to have that I think comedy doesn't work unless it's underpinned by something quite real and the more you try and be funny 
comedy is a really a high wire act, I think, because if it fails, it fails miserably and there's no coming back from it. And the more, the harder you kind of try, the more try hard it feels, if you know what I mean. And the whole basis, everything that's really funny, it's because it's undercut with something really serious. It's that play, the contrast that makes things work. So having... Um, Having this idea about families, people behaving so badly and taking them for granted while poor Janice can't have one, mm. to me that's that's the most important part of the story. Oh, I've been speaking with Tony Jordan about her book, Our Tiny Useless Hearts, a comedy about love and marriage and how kids are hurt and also the hurt that comes with the inability to have them. Tony Jordan, thank you so much for coming back to 3CR. Always a pleasure. Not every David, decade you've come you. back, but... <laughs> It's great. And I talked to Juliet Fox about 3CR's book, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. We'll see everybody next, next week. week. Thanks again. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.